Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you had a great weekend. Okay, today we're going to talk about the symbolism in the temple as it relates to uh, Freemasonic temples and as it relates to Mormon temples. Uh, what are the similarities, which we already kind of spoke about, but this has to do more with symbolism and their true meaning. Uh, thank you very much, and let's go. Okay, let's first try to uh, understand that throughout time, things have changed a lot both in Masonic temples and in Mormon temples. The promises made, the ways in things were named. Uh, let me give you an example. For example, Masonic temples in the olden days used to be called temples. Now they're called lodges. Um, these had to do more and more of a political, kind of religious uh, dispute because temple relates to a religion, and Freemasonry didn't want to be associated with a religion because it is not a religion. And therefore, they rebranded their buildings to be called lodges. Uh, one of the, uh, on the Mormon side, one of the big arguments that is going on right now is that there is a rumor that in the Mormon temples, they used to promise planets to the members that were, the, to the assistants of the temple, that they were going to get planets and that they were going to have sovereignty over those planets as of becoming gods in those planets. This has become a big issue for Mormons because a lot of people try to attack them or try to attack Mormons to try to somehow make them be the bad guy because they believe that they're so, somehow semi-divine or divine because of their religion. And so that part of people inheriting planets, it's, um, it's kind of a big dispute right now. Um, the church has come out and said that there is no such thing, uh, but they're not saying that there wasn't. But anyway, the history of what things were promised for Freemasons and things that were promised for Mormons has changed over the years. Okay, having that in the background, um, the Masonic temples are a place to confer degrees, which are, by name, they're supposed to be labor degrees. They're supposed to be builders. And in Mormonism, uh, the temple is used in a similar structure, but it is used more to ascend degrees of glory. And they don't they not only do it for themselves, but they also do it for the dead. But uh, what is the meaning behind the, the, the Mormon temple, and what is the meaning behind the Masonic temples? Because what is being said, or what is being labeled, it is different to what is implied in the ceremony, and it is different to what it really happens uh, in actuality and who knows what really happens in the afterlife. Uh, Freemasons allude to their lodges as a, being a symbolical representation of King Solomon's temple, while in the Mormon temple it says that the temples, quote, this is temples are po uh, to point us to Christ. These two statements are somehow correct. 
I don't think that either organization does a good, but I don't think that either organization does a good job of representing the work that is being promised, uh, or at least not fully. There's a lot of holes between the statement, the statements being made, and let's try to somehow to analyze these holes. The Temple of Solomon was the, well. The, the Freemasons claim that their temple is the, is the Temple of Solomon. I'm also kind of by implication, since they're talking about a Jewish temple in the Mormon religion, they're also talking about the Temple of Solomon. Since, according to scripture, that has been the only temple, but there have been other temples. Even in those ancient times, uh, there was one in uh, Palestine, I think they found another one in Syria, and these kind of go along the same timeline of Solomon. Uh, the Temple of Solomon, uh, which is the first one, was the was considered the house of God on earth, and God was the ultimate father of the community. And I start to understand that from the perspective of those Jewish or Israelites, whatever you want to call them, communities. And as the house of, of the father, of, of the ultimate father, God, uh, this was the heart and soul of the community. Ancient Jews went to render offerings to, to their their God. They served and sacrificed for love, for miracles, for guidance, for protection, for law, and for everything. It's kind of like when you go see, you know, your dad in Halloween. I mean, in uh, in Christmas, when when Freemasons go go to go to go to their lodges, they don't make any sacrifices. They don't search for anything in particular except uh, brotherhood, and that brotherhood is supposed to bring something else. But, and then women are excluded from the from the Masonic communities. They don't have a prophet king that brings revelation from the Holy of Holies, the Kadosh Kadoshim. And but they do name the the main guy for the year, the worshipful master. And so, as to what does that mean? Does that mean a god, or does that mean uh, the Haram Abif, or does that mean to, uh, King Solomon? Who knows? <clears throat> I don't think there's a lot of explanation as to why do they name the main guy in the lodge the worshipful master. Meanwhile, the Mormons don't do um, the ritual sacrament in their temples. They don't do the washing and the anoint uh, of the washing of the feet, at least that I know of. Uh, there are no miracles of possession or necromancy uh, like Jesus used to do. There are no Gnostic rituals of cleansing. Let me clarify that one. In the Gnostic Gospels, the rituals of cleansing has to do a lot with certain types of incense, the burning of certain plants, the burning of certain um, ointments, the ointments that go on the skin. Who knows? Some of them might have been hallucinogenic. And there are some ritual similarities to the passage of the treasuries, which is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, this I'm talking about the, the, the Book of Jew for the Gnostics and also for the Mormons. Um, the, and then the, this is very interesting. The passage through the treasuries in Mormon ritual is more Masonic in nature as compared to the rituals, but they're all, but they're, is also very similar to the Book of Jew. Who knows really how were the, the passing of the treasuries, if they were ritually and symbolically recreated. Uh, 
uh, in the early 300 years of our era. Uh, but there's way more preparation in the Book of Jude than there is uh, preparation in the, in, in, in the Mormon temples. And so here is a little bit of a link, I think. Freemasonry proved very useful for the early settlers. Because of the oaths of protection, as Mormons were settling in, uh, the bounds uh, they were settling in, uh, it was very important to be protected by the community. Freemasonry guaranteed that protection. And so that served a, its purpose, and it also served as a source of information, because back then there was no TV, there was no radio, there was no telegram. And so passing Masons, they relate information to the, to the Masonic brothers, either in Lodge or outside of Lodge, and that brought political and you know, financial information onto the brothers as to what was needed, what was not needed, what was lacking, and who was in power and who might be in power. There was a lot of, informa- a lot of political information passed on through Masonic Lodges back then. And the protection of Freemasonry was only offered to Freemasons. That information was only offered to Freemasons. And so the, 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 it was kind of a, a, important to be a Freemason back then. But it was also kind of risky because any deviation from mannerism or from, from the right, it created a lot of enemies. You know, Joseph Smith, you know, deviated from the right and... He likely got killed and kind of witch-hunted for the things that he did. And so going back to what are the links between Mormonism and the Book of Jew and how did they come about? Uh, who would have guessed that Martin, the, the Freemason Martinez de Pasquale in his work, uh, The Treatises of the Reintegration of Binks, will have become the foundational block for the Mormon temple? And this is why I'm saying this. This particular book talks about all of the Gnostic drama that goes on from the Secret Book of John, from the Peace of Sophia, and the Book of Jew. And also speaks about it in symbolism, in passwords and tokens, and it speaks about different degrees of ascension, and so this particular book uh, makes a summary, and this summary becomes ritual. And the ritual started in France, and then it kind of got expanded everywhere. Martinez de Pasquale also claimed that there was Masonic magic. Then other people like Gerard Ancus, Papus, he took the, those concepts and formed uh, another Masonic branch called Martinism where they do magic, but Gerard Cus being a Catholic, he turned everything very Catholic magical in a way. This is not very weird because there's a lot of magic within Catholicism. There are books that come out of the Catholic religion that are very magical, that Kyridrions are one of them. Um, then Santeria kind of became kind of like voodoo magic, regular magic, but with saints that were masquerading as, you know, their gods like Ogun or the Orishas, but they became, I don't know, St. Joseph or 
Saint Cyprian, or the Orishas became Virgin Mary, and so on and so forth. So magic has been there in the Catholic um, history even before the 1800s, 1700s. Uh, they just took it on a different name because magic has always been part of culture. And how can you really eradicate culture even if you're trying to like intellectually try to conquer these people and try to make them erase their culture and their folk magic? And so it is difficult to eradicate those things. So they just molded them. And so the chances are that Pasquale built his ceremonies in uh, with the conception of his time, which was a very Victorian time, and the Gnostic tradition. And that took in a very Masonic, what we, what we now understand as a, as a Masonic uh, decorum. Uh, Masonic passwords, steps, tokens are taken in the Gnostic Book of Jew, which Martinez de Pasquale must have uh, been familiar with and integrated them into his Masonic, uh, his Masonic group called the Elis Cohen which is filled of, 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 of Gnostic ritualism. And by Gnostic, I mean what we now know as Gnostic. Those Christians, they probably didn't call themselves Gnostics. They just called real Christians, I guess. And so there is even more. The square, the compass, are obvious tools for, for Martinez de Pasquale in his uh, Lieri drawings. The construction of the symbols in the Book of Jew are also they have to be constructed with a square and with a compass because of the nature in which they're made. They're basically made of like you know squares and circles and ellipses. And it seems that the uh, the compass and the square were also tools of those of those Gnostic Christians. Um, and that tradition of also name issuing, which is also common in Mormonism and Freemasonry. Uh, in but this is in, in other Masonic organizations like the Rosicrucians, uh, you, uh, the candidate gets a new name during an initiation, and also as it is said, certain levels of the Masonic situation gets another gets different names. In Mormonism, is by understanding that they, that you know members only get one name in the temple. Uh, in the Book of Jew, there are multiple names. And this is very similar to what Jesus, for example, does to Peter, that when he got his revelation, uh, he he was no longer Simon, and he became Petrus, which basically means rock. And so as he becomes a rock, he's now on the rock of revelation. And of course, there are also the penalties. The Masonic penalties were to protect the brothers of the of, of any infiltration, to protect the society, to protect the information. And in Mormonism, likewise, uh, the pen, there, were, there were penalties, from my understanding. The penalties are used to protect the community and the heavens. And in the Book of Jew, the, there are also penalties. The penalties uh, were also to protect the community, but they're also to protect the paths of heaven. And this goes into more detail because there are different penalties for different grades. And the paths of the heavens are guarded by different guards. This can be viewed um, in the Book of Enoch, 
which also talks about the watchtowers and the guardians and the seraphims of the particular place. He doesn't call uh, Enoch doesn't call them treasuries, like the Book of Jude calls them, but it's obvious that Enoch is going through these places of light. He calls them fire, but I'm pretty sure by fire he meant light. By these places of light that he enters and they're guarded by these huge, gigantic, um, menacing angels. And so the Mormons make a big deal about the veracity and uniqueness of their religion. But now that we have a greater availability of religious and literary resources, it is hard to accept the fact that Mormons have the whole truth. There's so much more out there that could potentially, theoretically, build on their ritual, their, their, their temple ritual, if it were to become Gnostic in a way, which if they are aligned with Christ, they sh- you know, my theory is that it should be aligned with the historical Christ, not with the Constantine-created Christ or the Merovingian-created Christ, but with the real Christ of you know, the beginning of, of, of this era. Uh, but since we are now able to make sense of what these rituals could mean, I mean, better understanding, uh, we have the opportunity to improve them. Uh, whether that's going to happen or not, I seriously doubt it. Uh, Mormon religions are very um, orthodox, and they're very followed by the rule, even though when you know you listen to a conference, a Masonic conference, which happens twice a year, they're always talking, I wish I knew more about Heavenly Mother. Well, why don't you make an attempt to learn about Heavenly Mother? They're talking, they, they wish they knew more about who God is. Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff right, that Christ wrote about the different legions of gods and who the real God is and what did he create and which gods did he create and where does Christ fit into all of this. But I doubt that that will ever happen because it will contradict a lot of the things that the Mormon church has already taken for canon. Uh, for example, Christ talks about the ultimate God, and the ultimate God, he calls him the one. And this one is not even a body. It's kind of like a space of light. And then this space of light, the one, he says he's, not, he's nameless. That there's name, He's nameless because there was no one there to name him, but everything comes from him. And then from there, he cre- he creates kind of like uh, his companion, his wife, the, the Pleroma. And then he creates the eons, which become his children. And then good things and bad things. God, good, good and bad, good and bad gods come along from that. And there is so much knowledge. There is so, so much knowledge there to be had. And I don't think that it will violate uh, Mormon doctrine. I think there is a uh, an article in, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is part of the Mormon Gospel, that also says if there is something that could build upon your understanding of God and it's good, uh, you it is allowable. And so I don't think it will be a violation of this, but as to whether it will become standardized, that will be a very different question. And they, the, the Mormon Church, I think, concentrates a lot of their time in trying to understand, to trying to understand more the words of Joseph Smith, than trying to understand archaeological uh, literature. Even though BYU has made um, some, some, sometimes some really great discoveries, 
I really enjoyed uh, the publication, the BYU publication on the on, on the aphorisms of Maimonides, which are his medical books. Uh, Maimonides was a very important doctor, prophet, and philosopher, uh, great scholar of the Torah. Uh, I think he was an alchemist. Some people think that he think that he was a mystic, kind of like the beginning of Kabbalah. Anyway, he, he was an amazing man. So BYU has sometimes ventured into there, but as to whether they're going to implement anything into their own doctrine or their own temple work, I seriously doubt it. Anyway, I hope you have found this uh, episode uh, somehow informative. I appreciate your attention and have a great one. Bye-bye.